Okay, so interesting little start there. Try to start out blowing your mind with this chapter because some of the trying to imagine some of these things, such as the Big Bang and there being, you know, nothing. I mean, we can't imagine. We can imagine empty, right? You know, can sort of imagine empty space and imagine, you know, just time there. But you can't. It's hard to imagine thing without a space or time. It's just beyond anything we can really begin to comprehend. So. Uh, really, so he gets in this chapter. Really gets into a lot of that kind of stuff in terms of looking at the different uh, different ideas of the universe and how that how that works and what happened early on in the universe. So I thought I'd go ahead and start with that, and then we'll come on through chapter 17 and get through get through a good chunk of this today, and then we'll finish this up tomorrow and get on to chapter 18. 18, if this, one, if this one blows your mind a little bit, that's okay, because 18 comes back a little bit better. 18 talks about life in the universe. So it comes a little bit back closer to home and search for extraterrestrial intelligence and you know, the possibilities of life in the universe, which still interesting, but not quite as uh, mind-bending as, as, this section can, as this section can be. Um, what we're going to pick up is we're picking up right where we left off and review the universe on the largest scales. So looking at those very big scales of the universe and what kind of structures that we see. And then we, move, we knew, we looked at last time the expanding universe, or a chapter or two ago, we looked at the expanding universe and how Hubble found that. And we'll look at some more details of that and study that in a little bit more detail. And then go on to what's happening. What does the universe like in terms of motion, in terms of geometry? You know, what is the shape of the universe? How do you give the universe a shape? It's just there and it's everything. But you start to come, when you start looking at this, you're actually looking at multiple dimensions. So you're starting to begin to imagine that the universe isn't just three-dimensional that we think of it. You know, We can move left or right, we can move forward and back, and we can move up and down. That's all the directions we can move. But if you want to imagine more dimensions, and some of the theories that go up go up to you know, 11 or 12 dimensions, so not just adding you know, time as a fourth dimension perhaps, but adding actual spa- other spatial dimensions that we can't even see that would go in a direction that is perpendicular to all three of the ones that we know at the same time. So a further dimension upward. And then we're going to look at the beginning and what this is, chapter is cosmology and would be what the end of the universe might be. So what are the possible fates and what the early universe might have been like. Uh, early universe and then comes into forming first nuclei and atoms. So forming the first of very basic particles. Cosmic inflation, an inflation of the universe, an incredible expansion. We know the universe is expanding quickly now. There was an incredible quick expansion of the universe in the very tiniest fraction of a second after it formed. It went from being you know, atom-sized to being galaxy, galaxy universe-sized in a tiny fraction, tiny, tiny fraction of a second. And then what we come back to is we kind of come back where we started. We look at the larger scales, then we kind of wrap around and come back. How does all of this help us with the formation? How did we form that large scale structure that we see today? So how do we actually form that? So first we look at what we see. And we looked at something similar to this in the last chapter. Um, The largest structure is the Sloan Great Wall. That's really the largest structure in the universe right here, you know, going across one section there, a couple hundred million parsecs across. Nothing is bigger than that. You can see how there's very few galaxies out here, 
but still no big structures, no line of galaxies or big clump of galaxies that stretches across the entire universe. It gets that very foamy appearance when you look at the universe on these very, very big scales. There's lots of areas with nothing. So we're going to have to try to explain, you know, why are there these big gaps? Why are there no galaxies here? Why are there no galaxies here? How about here, here? Even very close to us, there's big bubbles where there's no galaxies. And as you get further out, you see the same pattern. You can see there's a void here, perhaps, a void here, a void here, and there's little filaments of material around them. Just fewer galaxies, not because there's less galaxies out there, but simply because we can't count. We can't see them. When we're starting to get out to, you know, millions, a billion, a billion parsecs away, this would be a billion parsecs, 1,000 million parsecs, 1 billion parsecs, or about three, three and a half billion light years away, it gets very hard to see a galaxy. Even though galaxies have the brightness of all those stars put together, they're still very hard to be able to see at those great distances. But we don't see any big, any big structures. It just gets to be a very uniform appearance, meaning that if I take any specific group as part of this galaxy and take a big square here, is that really any different than a big square over here or a big square here? Again, ignore the fact that there's lots more galaxies here because we can see them, but the overall structure really isn't any different if you look at just the pattern of galaxies. It doesn't matter where I happen to select this really big chunk of the universe. It all looks pretty much the same. And what that means is that the universe is what we call homogeneous. O-U-S. Homogeneous. Any block looks a lot like any other block. Right? You get homogenized milk. Just means the milk has been mixed up, so it doesn't matter whether you take the milk from this section or this section or this section. It all looks exactly the same. Well, the universe is exactly the same at these very large scales. If I take a big block of the universe, 300 million parsecs on a side, it doesn't matter whether I take the one off in this direction or I take the one off in another direction, or I take the one behind me or above me, I take them all. They all look about the same. They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to match up exactly. But they're going to be essentially the same. There's not going to be really any big differences between them. The other thing that we know about, the, we see about the universe is that it also appears to be isotropic. Isotropic simply means that the universe looks the same in every direction. So if I look out in one direction, I would see a sim- some number of big giant clusters of galaxies way out there. If I look in another direction, I'd see it about the same. And it doesn't matter whether I look you know, this way, this way, forward, backward, up, down, you know, any angle I look at, it's all going to be about the same. Now our galaxy isn't like that, right? That's what we looked at earlier. Our galaxy would not be isotropic. Because if I look towards the Milky Way, that's within our galaxy, I see lots of stars. If I look, this is our galaxy this way. If I look up, away from our galaxy, I see less stars. So our galaxy would not be isotropic. But when we look out in the distance and count the galaxies, on the very largest scales, I count as many galaxies there as I do there, as I do there, as I do there. There's no overall structure to our universe like there is to our galaxy. So our galaxy would not be homogeneous and isotropic, but the universe appears to be. It doesn't matter what chunk of the universe I take to look at. 
doesn't matter what direction I look at the universe, it's all essentially the same. And these all because this becomes part of what we call the cosmological principle. and become two assumptions for the universe. It looks like this is how things are and we make the assumption that the universe is homogeneous. doesn't matter what chunk of it I look at as long as I'm looking at big scales. Certainly if I look at little tiny scales it makes a difference. right? If I look within our solar system I could pick something thousands of kilometers, the box thousands of kilometers across and if I pick it right in the middle of a planet it's going to be quite different than if I pick empty space. But on the very largest scales overall it's going to be essentially the same. So one of the early questions about the universe was why is the night sky dark? Now why is it dark at night? Well, at the time there was part more there was more to the cosmological principle than just this. These we assume today, but we also had an infinite universe, it went on forever, and an unchanging universe. So if we had this as we did a hundred years ago, not that long ago, only a hundred years ago, the universe was not only considered to be homogeneous and isotropic, but also infinite and unchanging. Well if that's the case, the entire sky should be as bright as the surface of the sun. Because it wouldn't matter where you looked out in space, eventually if it goes on forever, eventually you're going, to run into this, you're going to run into a star. You're going to run into a galaxy, you're going to run into a star, no matter where you look. So the entire sky should be that bright. But it isn't, right? We go out, at, we go out at the sky at night and it looks pretty dark. We see some stars, we see some galaxies. Well, certainly we didn't know things about things like dust at the time, which will block out some of the light. But we also know now that the universe is certainly not unchanging, it's expanding. And that's certainly a change, right? The galaxies are getting further and further away. And is the, is the universe infinite? Does it go on forever or is there eventually a stopping point? Is there, a sto- is there an end to the universe? Is there, does it have infinite? Or is it just going on forever? Or is it finite in some way? Does it have a boundary to it? Not a boundary as in we think of it, right? We think of a boundary. But a boundary in the way the Earth's surface has a boundary, right? There is an edge to the Earth. We're standing on it. We're standing on the surface of the Earth. And if you can look up in another direction, you can actually leave, leave the Earth. You could leave the surface of the Earth. Well, could you imagine the universe as a great big sphere, but not a three-dimensional sphere that we think of, but a four-dimensional sphere? I can't imagine it, but if you can imagine what a four-dimensional sphere, called hypersphere, would look like, you know, you can't picture it. I can't bring a model in for it because we can't see four dimensions when we're stuck in three. You can you can look at it only in projection. So how would, if you were confined to three dimensions, if you're confined to two dimensions, right? How could you see what would three dimensions look like? What would a sphere look like? Look like a circle. You'd only be able to see cross sections of it. So you'd be able to see cross sections of the sphere in trying to imagine it. Of this hypersphere, yeah, it's about what it does to your. It's about what it does to my head. So we, we can see this as three dimensional, but 
we can't imagine, we can't look in that other direction. If you have a little two-dimensional creature on the board here, okay, he can look this direction, he can look this direction, but he can't look out this way. He's stuck on this two-dimensional thing. So he can't look out this direction, he can't look out into the third dimension. Okay. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. How is it possible for us to go beyond the dimensional How is it possible to see it, you mean? Yeah. To imagine it, you can't. You can do a computer, a computer can do it. Uh, and they do computer models that go up actually to 10, 11, 12 dimensions. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like how, how is that even possible? Like at, at four dimensions and one, are you pretty much putting yourself in that object and then looking at every it's hard. It's, it's imagining the same thing for this poor little creature if you're trying to look down at it as a three-dimensional creature. If you were to go and visit this creature, it would see a very odd shape, right? If I were to go in, if I were to, you know, go into the blackboard, well, it might see, you know, if I put my finger in this way, it might see three, four, five little circles. If I stand, if I stand in the middle of it, it would get some sort of outline of me. You know, sort of line shape. It might, depending on how I went through it. We're going to see the same thing if you're trying to imagine four dimensions. We're only seeing those little tiny bits that actually penetrate into our dimensions that we can see. So it's not something we can imagine. I don't want you to think that I can sit there and view these <laughs> four dimensions. I can't begin to imagine them. But there are, more, there, are more, there are more dimensions involved than just the three that we're used to. You know, there is some fourth dimension out there spatially that you can look at that, that is perpendicular to this way, right? I can go left and right, I can go forward and back, and I can go up and down. Those are all perpendicular to each other, right? They cross at right angles. There's another way you could do that. We can't see it because we're stuck inside three dimensions, but if you're in the fourth dimension, there's another obvious way to go. That would be a fourth dimension that's perpendicular to all those at the same time. We can't see it any more than this poor guy will ever see anything other than, you know, left and right and back to back, but can't imagine this coming out. Can't see that. You know, he's confined to this area. So, it's not something you can really, I mean, you're not, if you can, if you can imagine it, great. I can't, I can't come close. But that's, that's really what it gets to, is really there's a lot more to, you know, and in terms of an infinite universe, the universe could be infinite, but that doesn't mean it necessarily, it could have an edge, could be bounded but not in some way that we'd ever see. You couldn't get to the edge of the universe any more than you could walk. Okay, ignore the fact that the Earth has oceans. Just say you could walk. I can walk forever on the surface of the Earth. Am I ever going to get to an edge? No, I'm never going to. I'm going to keep walking and walking. I can go around and around. You know, if I could walk on water, I could keep going around and around. But I'm never going to get to an edge. It's there. It's just in a different dimension. If you're looking at confined to two. If you want to get to the third dimension, you've got to go in the opposite to those. Same thing for us. We've got three dimensions, so we can go all we want in this direction. I can go all I want in this direction. I can go all I want in this direction. But I'm never going to get to the edge. I'm not going to get to an edge of the universe where it ends. I'm confined to those three dimensions even more so than we're confined here on Earth, because at least on Earth we can look up. We have the advantage of being able to look up and see, the third, see a third dimension. We can't see the fourth. Our eyes just won't won't see it. It's beyond our comprehension. Is that helpful? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
Um, other than the moon, we haven't sent anything out. Well, in terms of landing, Mercury would be difficult just getting in there time-wise, and the intense temperatures would be hard. Venus, you could certainly send a manned craft to Venus, but you could not. You couldn't land for sure. Just I mean, you couldn't land and then be able to relaunch again. You'd need way too much energy to get back off of it. Mars would be doable. Mars is planned, and there's been plans of it going, you know, back and forth for a while. So there are plans to land, actually, to land on Mars, to land people on Mars. That is certainly a possibility. Um, that one is very doable, but it's a much longer trip. It went to the moon, took about a week. Week, week to ten days, you know, three days of three, two, three days of travel, a couple days there, two, three days back. So it's not something where you can just, you know, jump over for the night. Mars is going to be a lot longer. Mars is going to take you months to get there, and then more, many more months to get back. So you can't just, you know, travel out there, turn around, and come right back. Because of the way the planets are moving in their orbits, the best time to launch to get there, it's usually about a year and a half mission it's considered. So you've got to take all your water, all your food, you know, everything you need to survive for that long oxygen, everything you need for that long of a time. So that's one of the reasons it is difficult. You know, the moon's a little easier because we can, a week's worth of stuff is easier to carry. You know, months worth of stuff, years worth of stuff, that's a, you know, even if you're only sending a small crew, that's still a lot of time. And do you want to be confined in that little ship with people for a year and a half? <laughs> you know? It could be tough for a, for a week, right? You know, tough for a week to the moon when you're confined, they're confined in a little tiny capsule. What would it be like going to Mars and being stuck with someone? They didn't, did they do an experiment? I think I remember reading they did an experiment with this. I don't know if it was Russia or somewhere. They put people in in plans for this where they confined people for 500 and some days or whatever the mission was going to be and confined them in, you know, one place with no other contact other than what they'd get normally to see. Probably did. I didn't look, I remember looking into it too. I remember hearing about it, but. But it would be different, you know. Imagine, put, put the, put the five, send the five of us to Mars. Well, it would be kind of a long, long, you know. We get sick of each other after a while, right? <laughs> yeah, but eventually you're run out of time to sleep. You gotta do. Now if everybody could sleep, get sleeping on a for, for right schedule or something, so. Yeah. <laughs> so what we found out, we were looking at Olbers' paradox there. Why is the night sky dark? Well, we know that the universe is homogeneous and isotropic, so that it must be either not infinite, must not go on forever, or unchanging. There must be some changes to it. Well, we already found that it does change, that there are galaxies that are moving away from us and they're moving faster the further away they are. That's just Hubble's law again that we gave you before. The velocity, how fast they're moving, is equal to the constant times the distance. So the universe is changing. It's not an unchanging universe. It is changing in terms of um, the structure of the galaxies. They are moving away from us. So that's one thing that, is, that sort of helps to solve Olber's paradox. And we can use that equation Right? We essentially know, right, distance equals velocity times time, right, or time equals distance divided by velocity. That means that the time for the galaxies to move a certain distance, we divide that by their velocity, but from the previous one, their velocity is Hubble's constant times the distance. So the distance doesn't matter, right? Distance divided by distance, it doesn't matter what that distance is, it cancels out. 
And that means the time is taken for the galaxies to get where they are right now is just 1 divided by whatever Hubble's constant was. And I think we said Hubble's constant was about, what did I say, about 50 to 70 kilometers per second per megaparsec. Well, if you do one over that, that gives you the age of the universe in some very weird units. You can actually go through, and I'm not going to make you go through the calculation, but you can go through the calculation to get kilometers converted to megaparsecs. If you convert kilometers to megaparsecs, they'll cancel. And when you divide 1 by 1 over seconds, you'll actually get a time, an age of the universe in seconds. So the, how old the universe is depends on what Hubble's constant is. So that's really a direct measure of also of the age of the universe. But again, not directly. It's not 1 over 50 except in some very, very weird uh, time units. So we can then measure them back. We can figure out how long. We know how far they've traveled, whatever distance that galaxy has traveled. We know what velocity it's traveled at because of Hubble's law. And that just tells us the time it took to get where it is from the initial expansion starting from the Big Bang is just 1 divided by Hubble's constant. So if we take Hubble's constant to be about 70, that gives us an age of the universe of about 14 billion years. About 14 billion years old. Doesn't matter who makes the measurements. Doesn't matter you know, what galaxy that you're making the measurements for. You're always going to get the same value for Hubble's constant. Doesn't depend on who's making the measurements. So it's, there's no particularly um, special place <coughs> on in the universe to make these measurements. It's not special that we're making them here. Could be made just as easily any place else. You'd get exactly the same numbers. They'd measure the same value for Hubble's constant, and they'd measure the same value for the age of the universe. <coughs> now that means. If we take all these galaxies and they're all receding away from us, if we work backwards in time, right? that means they must have been a billion years ago, they must have been a little bit closer. 10 billion years ago, they must have been even closer. If we take that back to 14 billion years ago, where was everything? Everything was then condensed down to essentially a single point. So you could have had, would have had the entire universe you know, smaller than the head of a pin. All the matter, everything in the universe that we have that's when everything originated from this in single point in what we call the Big Bang. And that's sort of what we saw in that little video at the beginning of this section. Where was the Big Bang? It didn't occur in space. It created space. So it's not like the explosion was right here, like an explosion as we think of it. Right? An explosion goes off. It goes off at some certain point in space. The Big Bang, on the other hand, actually created space. So there was nothing before it. The Big Bang would have been everywhere all at once. So it would have occurred everywhere throughout the universe at the same time. It doesn't have, there's no central point that you can look at it. And you can think of that, I think I'll show you an image in a little bit of like blowing up a balloon. Um, but if you think of it that way, when you blow up the balloon, the universe would be the surface of the balloon. Okay, imagine the universe is just the surface, nothing in between. The universe is expanding, getting bigger and bigger. But there's no, there's no center to the surface of the balloon. Right? There's no special place on the surface of the balloon. There's no center to it. 
This is the center of the balloon, yes. But that's in another dimension that you can't see. If you're stuck on the surface of the balloon, again, we're going down one dimension because if we try to explain it in three going into four dimensions, it just <laughs> it doesn't work. But if we imagine it as two dimensions, the little creature there on the surface of the balloon can't find a center. You can go looking around for the center of the universe any place you want. It doesn't exist. So you can think of that as a balloon blowing up. There is, there's, a, there's a point where it started, but it's nowhere on the surface of the balloon. The whole balloon is blowing up at the same time. That's what the universe did in terms of the Big Bang. The whole universe was created all at once. The Big Bang occurred everywhere at the same time. So it didn't start at one spot and expand outward. It created all of space and all of time at the same, at that instant. And as I've already gone over, we mentioned this a little bit. Uh, no, wherever we are in the universe, Hubble's constant, Hubble's law is exactly the same. So no matter who does the measurements, I can be doing the measurements here. Measure Hubble's constant, measure velocity and distance of a bunch of galaxies. Someone in a very distant galaxy can do it. They're going to get exactly the same, the same values. Galaxies will all be moving differently, but the relationship is going to be exactly the same for them. So the relationship is the same. Certainly they would see our galaxy as receding away from them, whereas we see them receding away from us. And they'll see some galaxies moving slower or faster than we see them. But the overall relationship between velocity and distance will be the same. So here's one of the demonstrations with the balloon. Um, Imagine a balloon with some coins stuck to it. Uh, stick the coins on it. Why do you use coins? You could draw pictures of little galaxies on it. It would work out too, right? Not, not exactly because the coins won't expand. Right? The coins will stay the same size. And really in the universe, when the universe is expanding, galaxies don't grow. So our galaxy is not expanding as the universe expands. It, it is not. It stays the same. So that's why they picture it using coins. If you were to draw a galaxy on a balloon, well, it's going to start out small and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as you expand it. Our galaxy is not doing that. It's gravitationally bound together and that keeps it from expanding. So that's why they're using coins here. But you can see if you pick any one of these coins, pick one. You know, you can pick the middle one, the one that's set in the middle here. No matter which galaxy you look at, all the galaxies got further away from it, right? But if we pick this coin over here, 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 well, this get, all the galaxies are getting further away from it. The ones that are further away are getting away, going away faster. So this is what the universe is doing. But again, we're going down a dimension so that we can. <laughs> you're going down a dimension, so we're missing. You're, you're, you can actually try to image this. We can imagine. Now, I can imagine a balloon expanding. I can imagine pennies or coins stuck on it. Can I imagine a three-dimensional universe expanding into a fourth dimension? No. I can't begin to expand it. I can't imagine a, a four-dimensional balloon expanding. I, I'm lost. That would be the universe, although it would probably be many dimensions beyond, beyond that. But there is no center. There is no place where everything is expanding from. Right? That center for the balloon would be down in the middle of the balloon, but not actually on the surface of the balloon any place. If you're confined to the universe, and the universe in this case is the surface of that balloon, there is no center. We can walk around forever. We're never going to find a center to the balloon. We're confined to the surface of the Earth. I can walk forever. I'm never going to find the center of the Earth. If I'm confined to the surface, I'm never going to find the edge of the Earth. I can keep walking and walking and walking all I want. I'm never going to get to a center or an edge. That's what the universe is doing, but dimensions beyond what we can visualize. 
So no center, no center to the expansion. It can also explain redshifting of uh, light. As the universe expands, now this time we want to draw it with something that can actually stretch because we're looking for the redshift of light. But if we did a uh, blue light here, as the universe expands, as this balloon expands, what's going to happen to the wavelength? It's going to get longer and longer, right? If I draw, draw a little wavelength on a balloon and start blowing it up, that wavelength is going to start out small and it's going to get bigger and it's going to get bigger. That's what's going to happen to light in the universe. Light is going to get stretched out. Over time, not, not instantaneously, but over time the light is getting stretched out. So the light that was formed very early on in the history of the universe has now been stretched out to very long wavelengths. And what that means, well let me start here. Then I'll come up to a little more what it means. Uh, to try to really explain this, uh, you got to get into all the really good math of general relativity, which I don't think we want to do. I, don't, I know I don't want to do it. <laughs> so we're not, not going to get into that. They're not something that's going to just you know, make sense to you. And in order to understand it, even be able to do them with the mathematics of general relativity doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be able to picture the concepts. You can do the calculations. You know, a computer can calculate how things work in 12 dimensions. Does that mean anyone actually has an understanding of what that is really like? You know, up here. You, you can picture that you can know the mathematics without necessarily knowing. But we'll try to look at some simpler versions, some simpler ways to look at it. We're certainly not going to get into, I didn't want to show you any of the math of general relativity. We're not going to get into any, any of that. But we can look at a little bit of it with Newtonian physics, which is what we've really been studying. I mentioned general relativity and gave you some ideas of that in terms of gravitational lensing when we specifically needed it. But for the most part, most things in astronomy work pretty well just with Newtonian physics, which not easy, easy, but a lot simpler than general relativity in order to be able to understand things. So let's see what could happen to the universe. You have two choices. So pretty simple, not, a, not millions of things that can happen to the universe. There's two things. In the distant future, we know it's expanding. Okay, that's the only thing we know for sure. The universe is expanding, and what's it going to do? Could it keep expanding forever? Could. That's one thing it could do. Or it could stop and it could collapse. So those are the only two things that can happen. It's like throwing something up in the air. right? If I throw it high enough, if I can throw it really hard and go through the ceiling and launch it into orbit, you know, with my hand, I'm, I'm real strong, right? I can launch it into orbit. I could, that would be expanding forever. If I could throw something hard enough, launch a rocket with an escape velocity of the Earth, it gets away from the Earth and it expands forever gets constantly away from the Earth. Or, as anything I'm going to throw up is going to stop and it's going to come back down. So could the universe be expanding? Could all these galaxies be expanding outward? As they are, think about what's going to happen. All the other galaxies are pulling on them, right? We've got gravity pulling things in. So these, these, these galaxies should be slowing down. So they're going to go slower and slower. Will they stop? Depends on how much matter there is. Is there enough matter, is there enough gravity to slow it down and stop it? Right? If there's enough matter in the Earth to throw it, stop something, if I throw it up, yeah, there's plenty of gravity there. I can't begin to throw something fast enough to launch it into orbit. Now, if I was standing on a little asteroid, I'd be able to launch something into orbit. I could throw something hard enough to actually get it to escape. But here on Earth, I wouldn't be able to do it, so it depends on how much gravity there is. So, 
What depends? What depends is the gravity is the only thing that's important. How much gravity there is tells us whether the universe will keep expanding forever. If there's, a, if there's not enough gravity, it'll just keep going on, going on forever. That expansion will continue. That essentially means if the galaxies have reached escape velocity. They are escaping from the gravity of the universe overall. Or if there's enough material there, if there's enough gravity, enough density of material, then the universe could eventually collapse. So it could eventually travel out, reach some limit, everything slows down, it stops. If everything stops, gravity doesn't stop, right? Gravity's still pulling it. If things aren't moving and gravity starts pulling, what's going to happen? They're going to start pulling in together. And would you end up with another, or not a big bang in this case, but a big crunch? Everything crunches together at the end of the universe. So it really depends on how much matter there is in the universe. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I used to think about this even back when I was younger. Hmm? You know, you could fill a balloon up with just regular air and it won't float away. Right. Fill it up, of course, with what is that helium? Helium. Yeah. Then it'll float away. I was like, why don't they just fill a ship up with that? And then, of course, they could probably get, you know what I mean, probably the velocity or they could save some fuel on how to escape away from the planet's gravity. It could help to some extent, but you're also going to have problems. I mean, balloon. If, you, if I let go a helium balloon, it doesn't escape out into space. Right. It gets up to a certain level, but don't forget the pressure changes as you get down there. And as the pressure gets lower, the balloon will eventually pop because the pressure outside will get lower, and the pressure inside is higher. It's going to keep pushing that balloon and expanding it outwards. So you could use, I mean, balloons are used for a number of things. They'll get you, they can get you pretty high up in the atmosphere, but you're not going to be able to launch anything with it. Now, could you get something up higher and then launch it? But it's how you're going to lift a big rocket up that high. So it's a good, I mean, it's a good thought, but there's not really anything that's going to work there to really get anything away, get it further away from the Earth. Because once you get out into space, of course, Then it wouldn't matter. Yeah, then the helium wouldn't do anything because you're you're in orbit around the Earth or you're out in space, there's no, you know, the pressure wouldn't be, it's, it's only, the only reason it, do, it does that is because the helium is lighter than the rest of the air. So it pulls everything up. Once you get above the atmosphere, it wouldn't make any difference because there'd be no, there wouldn't be a pressure difference. In fact, the helium would then be heavier, right? Heavier than space, so, but of course, when you're out in space, there's no place to sink to because there's not, so, yeah. No, that's fine. So what can happen? I said it depends on the density. We usually look at it in terms of density. It depends on the mass. We usually, astronomers usually consider it in terms of density. So what we have is we're here right now. We're sort of right on the border uh, as to where things, where things occur. So if the blue is where there's a low density universe and it expands forever. Either way, you trace it back to a Big Bang. At some point, there was a Big Bang. When it occurred, depend on how much matter there is. And what happens in the future just really depends on how much matter. If there's very little matter, then things keep expanding way out into space, and galaxies continually get further and further away. And the universe gets colder and colder, right? Stars die out. Eventually, galaxies die out. And you don't have a whole lot left. You've got a nice cold universe as the last of the stars are winking out. Now, we're talking trillions of years from now. We're not talking you know, even millions or billions of years. But eventually, you know, all you'd have left were, would be black holes, neutron stars, 
brown or black dwarfs, no brown, no white dwarfs because they'd have all cooled off, so they wouldn't even be bright anymore. And maybe some of the and the brown dwarfs, right? That never quite formed stars. Planets, you know, all sorts of little stuff like that. The little stuff would still be there, but it would be a very cold universe. All the bright stuff that we see today would be gone. Again, many trillions of years from now. The other case, so death by ice, if we go this way. Here, things stop expanding. Eventually they reach that limit. You know, you throw a ball up in the air, eventually it stops and starts coming back down because gravity is strong enough. It stops and it's going to start collapsing back down collapses back down, things start getting closer and closer together. Instead of all the galaxies receding from us, they're all coming together. Eventually, again, at least a similar amount of time, we still got a ways to go, but you know, a minimum of another 14 billion years. If it takes so long to expand, it's going to take so long to collapse. Then the universe collapses down into a fiery, fiery end. Right? Everything comes together and expand and collapses into a big crunch. Everything crunches together at the very end as galaxies smash into each other. But really, what depends? It depends on the mass that we measure for the universe. How much matter is there in the universe? And that's a very good question because, as we already know, we don't know a lot about the matter in the universe. We know about the things we can see. We can see stars and galaxies and all the stuff we've talked about all this course. But we also know that there's a lot of dark matter there. We found out in the last chapter. You know, a big chunk of the matter in each galaxy is dark, not something that we can see, not something that we can easily measure. And how does that affect everything here? Now, still doing the shape of the universe, so we're going to come back to some of this. If space is homogeneous, so it looks the same in all directions, or sorry, it looks the same in also every segment of the universe is the same. No matter how, no matter which which segment, which chunk of the universe you take, there are three possibilities. You could have a open, a, clo sorry, a closed universe. Let's start with closed. That would collapse. So a closed universe would be like the surface of a sphere, right? It would expand out to a certain size, and then it would eventually collapse back in on itself. And you could have a flat universe. Imagine it like uh, in two dimensions. In two dimensions, uh, or sorry, in three in our, in our, what we can imagine, a closed universe would be like a sphere. A flat universe would be more like a piece of paper, just extend, not extending out forever. A big giant piece of paper, giant flat piece of paper. That would be the two-dimensional analogy. Two-dimensional analogy would be the surface of a sphere, and an open universe that would expand forever would be like a saddle shape. So horse saddle, horse saddle, setting out, or a Pringle shape, similar type thing, right? You know, Pringles chips, that kind of shape that just goes again, just goes out forever, in that kind of shape. So imagine the edges extending out. You know, the infinite, the infinite Pringle, infinite size Pringle, goes out, goes out forever. So these are the three possibilities that you can get, and it depends again on the density. So you can get a closed universe, that would be like a sphere. And that would be um, greater than the critical density. You've got enough mass that the universe is closed, and that eventually collapses. You can have a flat universe, which is like a piece of paper. 
which is exactly the critical density. So what happens if you have exactly the critical density? You've got just enough matter to stop the expansion. Just enough. But it takes an infinite amount of time to do it. So it doesn't just take you a trillion years, but it takes you an infinite number of years. So after an infinite amount of time has passed, things go slower and slower and slower and slower, but they never quite stop. It would take an infinite amount of time for it to actually stop, so nothing would ever collapse back down. Because it would take an infinite amount of time. It would never exactly stop. So that expands forever, but barely. Constantly slowing down, constantly slowing down, getting slower and slower. Come back in a trillion years, in 10 trillion years, in 100 trillion years. It's going slower, but it still hasn't quite stopped. Or you have the option, could be an open universe. That's a saddle shape. That is less than the critical density. And that means it expands forever easily. It would still be slowing down, right? Gravity would still be slowing it down. We hope at least. That's what we think would happen. We'll actually see some interesting things coming up as to what really what is actually going on right now and where and where we do uh, fall on this. But those are really the three possibilities just based on the density of the universe. If you have enough matter, it's closed, it collapses back down. If you don't have enough, it expands forever. So we've sort of expanded the two into three because the universe can collapse or expand to ever forever. When we look at it this way in terms of shape, there's one that there's the borderline case right at the very edge between collapse and expanding forever is just barely escaping out into space in an infinite amount of time. So here's the pictures of those. There's our saddle shape down at the bottom. So if we look here, this would be an open universe expanding forever. If you take that and you add up a triangle, right? If we add up the angles in a triangle, they always add up to 180 degrees, right? From geometry, sometimes. Well, if you're doing Euclidean geometry, it does. If you have a flat piece of paper, the sum of the angles is always 180 degrees. But if you draw a triangle on a saddle and add up all the angles, they're actually less than 180 degrees. <coughs> if you draw it on a sphere, which is our other closed possibility, and you draw a triangle, I can actually make a triangle on a sphere with three right angles, 270 degrees, or bigger if you wanted to. So because what we talk, we talk about the sum of the triangles adding up, some of the angles adding up to 180, that is just because we're talking about a spherical geometry. Or sorry, flat geometry, plane geometry. If you look at it on a sphere, things are quite different. And what else is shown here, this is the trip from London to Los Angeles. Well, if you're flying from London to Los Angeles, you don't fly th over New York. You actually fly up over Greenland and northern part of Canada and come back down. That's the shortest path on the surface of a sphere. So if you were trying to fly here, this would actually be a longer path to go this way than it is to go that direction. So normally you talk about a straight line being the shortest path. Well, yes, it would be. As well, if you wanted to make the shortest path between London and Los Angeles, you got to dig well under the earth, right? You could dig a straight line. 
you know, take the whole sphere, make a globe of the Earth, and make the shortest line, you know, it would go through the middle of the Earth. If you're confined to the surface, you'll actually find that the shortest path goes up above. Shortest path actually goes well up to the north, well up over Greenland, not something you'd normally think about. So these are the different shapes that the possibilities that the universe could have. It could be flat like that piece of paper, have the angles of the triangles add up to 180 degrees, could be open like a saddle where the angles are less, or it could be closed like a sphere where it would add up to more. But again, when I use saddle and sphere and paper, for the universe we've got to go one dimension beyond them. So it's a three, it's a three they're, they're one more dimension. So instead of just looking at them as two or three dimensional objects, or two dimensional surfaces I should say, they're three dimensional surfaces. You're trying to imagine a four dimensional sphere and its surface and a four dimensional saddle. You're imagining it all, right? No. I'm not either. No, don't worry. Final exam. Imagine this, <laughs> right? Imagine that four-dimensional sphere. Draw me a picture of the four-dimensional sphere, right? All right. So what happens if we have these different geometries? Well, in one case, if we have a closed universe, you can shine a light beam out or you can travel and you can come right back where you started, right? That's what I meant, talked about with the surface of the Earth. Ignore the oceans or let me, if I could walk on water, you know, I could walk around the Earth, take me a little while, and I'd come back exactly where I started. I could start off walking in one direction, just keep walking in that same direction. Eventually I'm going to come back where I started. If the universe were closed, that would be the case. You could travel out in a spaceship in one direction and come back around and come back where you started. That doesn't work for the other ones, right? If the universe is flat or the universe is open like a saddle shape, you travel in one direction, you just keep going. No edge, no end, it just keeps going on forever. The light beam would also come back around. Of course, when the universe is that big and we're only seeing, oh, I already erased my number, 13.7 billion years, light years worth, well, we can't see anything that's longer than that. So if you shine that light beam out now and it's powerful enough to come back to you, you've got to make a minimum of 13 billion light years for it to get back around. Right? It's going to take that amount of time. So you could travel around the, you could travel around the universe that fast, though, travel around the universe at, if it were a closed. So if a closed universe, you'd be able to come back where you started, much like the surface of the Earth. So what is, what is, the, what is the fate? What is the fate going to be? So what is the, it really depends on what is the density. What we're going to find for the density that really matters. So start off. Let's start off with the matter we know. We've seen all these stars and planets and nebulae and galaxies and clusters of galaxies. It's a lot of material we've talked about, right? A lot of matter in that material. I mean, galaxies are big. They've got black holes at the center. We can measure those. We know how much luminous matter there is, how much stuff that glows, that gives off energy that we can detect. In order to get the density, that's about 3%, 3 or 4% of the matter that we'd need to have a closed universe. So if we count just what we can see, just the visible matter, the universe is wide open. It's not even close to this. It's only got a couple percent of what we need. The universe is expanding outward forever and never going to stop. But we know there's more, so we're not quite done yet. We know that there's also a lot of dark matter. So large amounts of dark matter, remember that there were, for our in, within our galaxy, for every star there were two to three stars worth of material? Well that adds up a lot more. 
within galaxy clusters, there were lot there was lots of material. There were for either galaxy, there was 10, 20, 50 more galaxies worth of material. That's a lot of material. Is that enough to take it from open? And what we can see is only a couple percent. Is it enough to get it towards flat or closed? Doesn't matter where it is. We don't know where it is, but it, how much matter is there actually there is what we're trying to figure out. If we take all the dark matter that we can see to keep uh, galaxies together in clusters, how much ga- dark matter there must be there to explain the gravitational lensing that we see, right? There's much more matter in those galaxies that are doing the lensing than we can actually see. That raises the density from about 3% of critical, maybe about 3% up to about 30%. We're still way down in this one. Either way, we're still, right now with dark matter, we're still, you know, maybe we've got 30% of the matter that's needed to actually stop the expansion. So, not close. It's not like it's at 90%. Maybe we're missing a little bit. Maybe we're missing something. When you're only at 30%, you're not even close. You don't even have near enough matter to begin stop to begin stopping the expansion. So, we're up, it's up. It's up significantly. It's 10 times more matter, but not even close to what we need to actually close the universe. So, Based on that, even with the dark matter, we're still in a very, very open universe. But we're not at the end yet. Because things are actually different than what we'd expect. Remember type 1 supernovae, right? Type 1 supernovae was the white dwarf. White dwarf star reached its mass limit because a companion was giving it too much matter and it tore itself apart. That's what we use to determine distances. So we can determine the distances to the furthest galaxies that way. Well, what we'd expect, right? Gravity's slowing things down. Whatever's happening, gravity's pulling down. So our galaxy is pulling on all these other galaxies, and it's slowly slowing them down. They're pulling on us, we're pulling on them. Overall, it's, (coughs) with gravity being an attractive force, it's trying to slow everything down. So what we should find because we're looking at these distant galaxies, we're looking back in time, we're seeing what these galaxies were doing, you know, not now, not as they are right now, we're seeing them as they were doing things a billion years ago or two billion years ago. So what would we expect? We would expect that those furthest galaxies would be moving faster than we would expect, faster than Hubble's law would predict, right? Because we're seeing them as they were two billion years ago, say, and there's been two billion years worth of time for gravity to slow them down a little bit. So if we could see them as they are right now, they'd be moving a little bit slower, as according to Hubble's law. But they're further away in the past. They should actually be moving uh, fat. They should look like they're moving faster at that time because we haven't seen them. We don't see them as they are today. We see them as they were two billion years ago. That's two billion years less worth of gravity to slow them down. Less time of gravity to slow them down. So our prediction would be, okay, we're going to go measure these most distant galaxies and we're going to say, well, they should be receding, they should look like they're receding faster than we predict. So what do we find? Well, bless you. When we look at them, we actually find the opposite is the case. Not only are they not decelerating, they're actually accelerating. They're actually moving faster now meaning that they were moving slower in the past and instead of slowing down they're actually speeding up. So 
Hubble's law works real good here. It's only when you get out to the very edges of the universe where, this start, where they start to deviate. Down in here, Hubble's law fits pretty good. All the measurements that have been made of these very most distant objects, you know, ten, going three up to approaching ten billion, three billion parsecs, five billion parsecs, getting way out towards the edge of the universe. It now looks like most of the numbers, there's a couple here that look like you're decelerating, but look where the preponderance of the numbers are. They're all towards an accelerating size side of the universe. So that means that what we're measurements are showing us is that the universe is actually accelerating and moving, fa- and moving faster. So the galaxies were moving slower back then than Hubble's law predicted. So they must be being accelerated. What is causing them to accelerate? What is causing these galaxies to move faster now? Okay, Gravity only works one way. Gravity slows things down. So gravity isn't going to do anything to speed anything up. It's going to pull. Gravity is going to try to pull these galaxies together and try to cause them to stop expanding. But we're seeing that there's something more to it in this case. So in order to explain this, there's been developed a new explanation uh, of vacuum pressure, which is actually you may have heard called dark energy. So dark matter, this is a dark energy. Again, something that we really can't detect. But what we end up getting here, this is looking at all those same things where we were, all the different universes here. So we had a closed universe here in orange. That's where we're expanding. Started with the Big Bang. Reach our current point and expand outward. What's going to happen? So if it's, if it's negative, in this case if it's negative, the, the, cl- the universe is closed and it eventually recollapses. If we don't have the cosmological constant, that leads to a static universe. It just kind of goes off forever. But if we add this constant in, we add this dark energy or pressure in, depending on how much we add in, the universe then expands faster and faster and faster. It is one of the things that comes out of Einstein's equations, although he originally put, put in the cosmological constant to kind of balance the universe and to make it steady. It turns out that the constant which belongs there could either account for a collapsing universe, if, you have it, if it turns out to be negative, or an expanding universe, and not only expanding, but an accelerating universe, if it turns out to be positive. So that's what's been postulated you know, in the last couple of decades is this concept of dark energy as something that is actually causing the universe to expand faster than it otherwise would. <coughs> Gravity would be slowing it down. Gravity wants to slow everything down. If things are accelerating, there's got to be something else that is pushing them out, pushing things outward to cause the expansion to go even faster. So where are we? Okay. All right. Let me see where we. Yeah, we'll do the early universe and probably stop there. So we've got, yeah. All right, cosmic background radiation. So, what are we going to see? We're going to come back to the dark energy in a little bit here. But look at what we found, what kind of evidence that we found first. Um, the microwave background radiation was discovered uh, quite by accident. A couple of astronomers pictured here, uh, Penzias and Wilson, uh, were using a, a big radio telescope, different type of radio telescope than the ones we looked at earlier. It's like a big horn-shaped. 
So it actually collects with this big collecting area here and then the radio radiation is focused down towards the end. But what they were doing was looking for you know, communications. They were working for Bell Labs. They were trying to do satellite communications. You know, how can we get the lowest noise to be able to get the best signal from a satellite? And they were trying to find all the sources of noise. You know, when the birds decided to you know, go to the bathroom in the telescope, yeah, that was a source of noise because you were changing the shape of it. Um, detecting you know, different sort of electrical signals on Earth was a source of noise. They could account for many of these things and eliminate them. But they found one little bit of noise that they couldn't get rid of. They were down to the last little bit trying to eliminate all of this. And they found this one little bit of noise came from wherever they looked. It didn't matter whether they looked this direction or that direction or whatever direction they looked. All the time. So it didn't rise and set. It was always there. No matter where they were looking, it was there all the time. And it was always the same strength. And it turns out what eventually they found was that they were detecting the last, the last of the photons that were left over from the Big Bang. They were actually detecting the remnants from that great explosion that occurred almost 14 billion years ago. So the traces of it, remember the unit, it occurred everywhere, so the Big Bang occurred here. You know, everywhere, those photons are everywhere in the universe. So if we look out any direction in the universe, we would be able to detect them. And what we see is that what would have happened is this would have been a great explosion. For an instant, the universe would have been a gigantic star. It would have been fusing hydrogen into helium. Uh, that very first you know, fraction of a second, the universe would have been incredibly bright. Remember when hydrogen fuses to helium, you form a lot of gamma rays. Right? That's what's forming at the center of the sun right now. But it takes time for them to get out and they get diverted. At this point, at one second after the Big Bang, the universe would have just been flooded with gamma rays. The whole thing. You know, us, every place, would have been flooded with gamma rays. But what's happening? The universe is expanding. As we expand, we stretch those wavelengths out. So those gamma rays that were one that formed after one second, as the universe expanded after 100,000 years, they'd stretch those gamma rays into optical visible light. Just stretch, the universe expanded, it stretched all those wavelengths from gamma rays into visible light. If you could look back at the universe at 100,000 years, if you'd been there, could have been there, the universe would have been glowing bright, just been solid visible light. You know, telescope wouldn't have done you much good, you couldn't see anything because everything would have been visible light. As it continues on, after 10 million years, <coughs> we stretched them out to the infrared. So again, continue that stretching. Today they're out into the radio or the microwave portion, uh, the very shortest wavelength radio portion of the spectrum. And this continues. They will continue, it will continue out, will continue to expand outward. If you come back and you know another hundred billion years, it would continue to expand uh, outward and down towards lower and lower radio wavelengths. So what we're seeing is this, if you recall, this is that same spectrum that we've been looking at for stars. This is the black body spectrum. Peaks somewhere, goes way down this way, out into the longer wavelengths, drops off very rapidly at the shorter wavelengths. So right now, that would have been like the universe having been a giant star 14 and a half billion years ago, fusing hydrogen into helium. But a giant, not a star like ours, but a giant expanding star. It didn't last very long. It only lasted fractions of a second. 
and then expand it outward until it would have cooled off too much. But the same remnant of that radiation is right there. And since then, over 14 billion years, it's stretched out into the same type of curve, same type of black body curve, but in the radio portion of the spectrum. So we can measure it. I show you lots of little graphs like this. Usually there's some kind of scatter around. You know, points are close, but we looked at Hubble's law. Now there were some points here and here. They jumped around a little bit. This has been measured with extremely high accuracy and is almost perfect black body curve. The blue is the theoretical curve. That's what you should get for, for this specific temperature. The dots are what is measured. So when you measure at a certain frequency in the radio part of the spectrum, you measure here how much radiation do you detect, you get exactly that amount. And you can see that the points, you know, it's almost too perfect. It lines up perfectly with what we see. We're looking at very short wavelengths, things that are several millimeters, very short for radio wavelengths. We're getting out to one centimeter out here. So very, very short uh, for radio, even for radio wavelengths, really considered part of the microwave part of the, of the spectrum. But very accurately and fits this model for the Big Bang almost perfectly. Um, I don't know if I want to start on that. One second. Let me leave that one because that one's going to take me a little longer, I think, and I don't want to try to get started on that today because that's going to get back into the dark energy. So I'm going to wait and finish that one up on, on Tuesday, tomorrow. So I'm going to stop there. We've got a, got a few minutes left, but that's good. So are there any questions? I'm going to come back to this, but this, I, I don't want to try to rush this at the end. So I'll start off with it tomorrow. Any questions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, you can submit them on D2L. There should be a Dropbox for each of them Project. on D2L. Um, and then once we submit it on D2L, can we also bring in like a hard copy? Yeah, if you want to bring me a hard copy, as long as you put it on there, that's fine. Then I know you're done. I know it's on time. You can bring a hard copy in if you like. Yeah, right. So that that's fine. Yeah, That's fine. Yeah, no, that 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 works that works just fine. That's fine. As long as you put it on there, you can bring me a regular copy of it tomorrow as well. And I won't it won't be counted as late. As long as I've got it on there, I know you're done, I know you're on time, then that's no problem. Alrighty? Anything else?